to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger ROI, and is now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com backslash 2022. Today, I'd like to introduce Marty Ernest, a grower from Columbia, Louisiana. Marty will be giving us a sneak peek of his upcoming presentation at the 2021 Fall National Cover Crop Summit. Welcome to the podcast, Marty. Thank you, Miss Sarah. It's good to be on with you today. So to start out, give us a little bit of an overview of your farm and your operation. Well, I guess my first experience with cover crops was back in the early to mid-1980s. We had a farm leased, and on the lease, it stated that we had to plant cover crops, and at that time, we owned a flying service, and I was raised by my grandfather, which is, he's currently 94 years old. So he's old school, and back in the day, uh, back in the 1940s and 1950s, they used a lot of vetch as cover crops. So back in the 80s, we kind of went back to doing that. We we started flying vetch on right before cotton harvest and uh, and letting the vetch grow through the winter months. And then we, uh, we lost that farm. Uh, through time, and I guess about eight years ago, I decided to start planting cover crops again to kind of get back to a no-till cover crop system, and and I started experimenting with radish and then some grasses, some oats and elbon rye and wheat as covers, and uh, we just kind of evolved into that, into a strictly no-till uh, cover crop system that's worked really well for us. So then how many total acres would you say that you farm with your no-till cover crop system? We farmed anywhere from 800 to 400 acres, uh, depending on the year, uh, in the cover crop system. You briefly mentioned a couple of the cover crop species you use, but which types of cash crops do you grow then? We grow uh, soybeans, corn, and I also, uh, I raise uh, cover crop seed also. I raise and sell cover crop seed, and we we, uh, we raise bob oats and uh, wheat also uh, as a I guess you could say it's a cash and a cover crop both for us because it's it's actually a cover. You know, we, we plant it, but we let it grow all the way to maturity and we harvest it and sell it for seed. Do you all have any livestock then or, or is that not part of the operation? No, ma'am. I'm actually part of a group called Louisiana Grazing Lands Coalition, and it is a group that's focused around uh, regenerative agriculture and grazing livestock. Uh I don't have any livestock myself right now, but that is something that we're hoping to add in the very near future. Great, great. So what motivated you eight years ago to make the change back to no-till and cover crops as a system? Well, labor has, has, over the last several years, increasingly become a more challenge to find good labor for the farm and equipment prices and fuel prices. And I finally realized, you know, it's not about making maximum yield, it's about making maximum profit. And uh, just trying to get away from so many trips through the field and 
And our organic matter and our soils were also so depleted here and just realizing that uh, we've, we've been mining the soils for years and we've got to start putting back what we're taking out. All right. So talk with me about how hard was it to transition from a more conventional type system back to no-till and cover crops? What was that transition like for you? Well, Miss Sarah, it's, it's actually been a lot easier than what I anticipated because it's really been a change of a mindset. Uh, I know in the 1990s, we this whole country was basically the rice or cotton. And when we went from a cotton system to a grain system, we kind of had to think outside the box and kind of change our mindset on the way we did things. And it's kind of the same way here. We just had to uh, change our mindset about the way we approach things that you know, what worked yesterday is not going to necessarily work for today and tomorrow. And uh, But our, as far as our equipment goes, it's been m uh, much easier through the no-till cover crop system because we've eliminated a lot of the equipment that we, uh, that we was using that we no longer need. Okay. And so what challenges did you encounter along the way as you were making that transition? I think probably the biggest challenge has been uh, – probably opposition from people that say this don't work or this can't work. And I've always been the type of person I, I, I welcome a challenge. And I guess through the uh, process of time over the last eight or 10 years, uh, my system has worked really good and it has kept me in business uh, when a lot of other people have not been able to stay in business any longer. And it's also kept my input so much lower but really just the uh, the challenge from people because I found out on, on cover crops and no-till, you're, you're generally either on one side of the fence or the other. There's not many people, you know, in the median, so to speak. But uh, I think we're in a time right now of transition uh, that people are starting to take a hard look at cover crops like never before. All right. So what are your goals then for your cover crops? We really own our goals on our cover crop. We want to try to keep a multi-species cover crop growing. Uh, the brassicas, uh, the lagoons, the grasses. Uh, I found the multi-species covers are the better. Uh, when we started out, it was a single species, just planting a radish. But uh, the last several years, it's been going to a five and a six-way blend. That, that's our goal is to try to keep a living root in the ground 12 months out of the year. Never let our ground lie fallow. So whenever, when you're talking about these multi-species cover crop mixes, what species specifically are included as the, in those mixes? Well, my favorite is uh, oats, mainly because I grow that. I'm kind of an oat fan. It's a very forgiving seed. It's real hardy, but uh, I like planting crimson clover, radish. Hairy vetch is always a real good one. And I found out the smaller species or the smaller seed count seeds you buy, like a clover or a brassica, for an example, you get more bang for your buck, so to speak. You get more seed per pound, and therefore you can put more seed per square foot of land. And instead of needing maybe like 10 pounds per acre on a larger seed, if you use a smaller seed like a brassica, you can get by with less seed per acre and go to a rate that's only like a pound or a pound and a half per acre. Therefore, it lowers your uh, input cost. Okay. So talk through during the the growing season, when do you typically seed those cover crops? 
are you interceding them in, in June or July, or do you wait and seed them more towards um, after harvest? Well, us being in North Louisiana, we're pretty much in the deep south in one of your, I guess this would be zone six, zone seven right here where we're at. We can uh, actually wait to after harvest in September, October. And I like to come in with a drill and drill my covers. Uh, that's, you know, the hardest way is usually the best way, but we, we like to drill to get the seed to soil contact. And very seldom do we ever have a winter kill on cover crops here because our climate is warm enough here through the winter months that we can grow the cover crops here all the way till March or April and then terminate them uh, with 2,4-D and glyphosate come springtime. You mentioned that you grow your own cover crop seed. Do you exclusively use your own cover crop seed then, or do you also source seed from another place? On the wheat, we uh, we outsource our wheat seed. Uh, we try to go with a foundation seed stock uh, to keep the genetics pure as we can on the wheat. But the oats, uh, I mean, bob oats are a public variety, and they've been out forever, I guess probably 30 to 40 years and we uh we save our seed uh to plant from year to year so you know the seed that we sell the customer is the same seed we're planting ourselves so uh you mentioned that you like to drill your cover crop seed um what type of drill do you use to plant your seed well we a lot of people you know like to use a no-till drill but from my experience if if my ground is hard enough that I need a no-till drill, I have issues with my soil. And I found out that since we've been in the, the cover crop system for eight to ten years now that our soils are so mellow that I can just use just a standard conventional drill. Uh, I think we're running a Marlis drill now, which is really a light-duty drill, but, you know, we run it on a, sh a shallow seed setting, and it does an excellent job for us. Okay. And so... Um what kind of a seeding rate do you use for the different uh, mixes that you're seeding? Well, on for production on oats, we plant about 100 pounds per acre. But for cover crop blend, of course, it varies with the number of species. But usually 50 to 60 pounds of oats in a blend. And then, like I said earlier, if you're going to plant a small species of cover crop seed, like a turnip or a clover, uh, you can generally get by with a you know, depending on the particular seed, anywhere from a half a pound to a pound and a half of those small seed in a blend with a oat or a wheat. Since you you mentioned that your cover crops can grow um, very late into the spring, um, have you had any experience planting green in, into your cover crops? I have tried that on a very limited basis, and I think everybody has their own niche so to speak, uh, I have a friend that plants green. Uh, I have tried it, but it's, uh, I don't think it's quite set up for my system exactly, maybe because of the, the planter I'm running is not quite up to par, so to speak, uh, to plant green. But uh, I'm not against it by any means. I just think it's, you know, it's just everybody has their own niche, and if it works good in your system, then uh, definitely uh, you know, use it. It, it. it definitely has its place in the right system. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, 
and achieves stronger ROI and is now available in convenient planner box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com backslash 2022. And now back to the podcast. Talk with me a little bit about your crop rotation. Um, Do you cycle through um, with your cash crops and your cover crops? And, and what does that rotation look like? Well, a lot of people in our area, they like to go with a soybean corn rotation. But I found, you know, with the cover crop and having a living root in the ground through the winter months here, that we can stay just strictly on a, a bean on bean system, you know, as long as we have that cover crop uh, growing through the winter months. And uh, that cover crop actually is our rotation. With the bean on bean system, have you had any concerns? with uh, pests or uh, disease pressure? No, ma'am, not, not any that we've noticed uh, that I could attribute to, you know, anything from that system. Okay, okay. So um, are there any other new ca- uh, cover crops that you've been looking at that uh, you might be considering adding to your crop rotation? You know, there's, I don't know, there's probably... 40 to 60 different species of cover crops out there that we could possibly use in our system. But, uh, and I guess each part of the country might be a little bit different. Uh, even cover crops out there that I've never even heard of before. But I think we, we probably have 10 to 15 different species of seeds here that would probably fit in our, in our climate zone good and in our niche. Uh, I don't see any new seeds really on the horizon that I would, uh, I, that I would consider using, but I definitely like the three-way mix between the legume and the uh, brassica and the grasses. We definitely need at least one of those in every mix for sure. Okay, great. So do you apply any fertilizer then to your cover crops or your cash crops? We don't apply fertilizer to our, our cover crops, but we do normally come in with P and K on our uh, on our soybeans and then where we where we raise uh wheat and oats naturally we we usually put uh some nitrogen on that also okay so you mentioned that you're part of the the grasslands grazing um organization in louisiana do you work with another producer then to have your cover crops grazed no, ma'am. I, it, it's something we looked into a couple of years ago because we have such a lush cover crop here, uh, especially in the spring months when we start warming up a little bit in, in February, March, and April. Uh, we have never grazed any. It is definitely something I would consider. Uh, I think it is a waste that, you know, people are not grazing cover crops more. And matter of fact, in my opinion, the the perfect three-way circle would be a, a row crop farmer that is growing cover crops that is grazing those cover crops because you have a perfect three-way system there that's working 12 months out of the year. So uh, I definitely think that is an excellent system for people to consider. Okay. So how do you go about terminating your cover crops in the spring then? I found out on terminating cover crops, especially where there's a clover involved that, uh, go the maximum labeled rate uh, on glyphosate. 
Uh, it's not a place and a time that you want to try to save a dollar for sure. Uh, I've been there and done that and had regrets about it, but go the maximum rate of glyphosate. And also, we have gotten away from 2,4-D amine and went to an ester formulation on the 2,4-D, being it's a lot hotter. And uh, we've had really good luck with a, with a maximum glyphosate rate and the 2,4-D ester with it. Okay. And um, what equipment do you use to apply that glyphosate? We just run a... Uh, we just run an old school uh, spray coop. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I was a commercial applicator for 17 years, so I've I've got over 10,000 hours uh, on a spray rig. But a lot of guys are going 12 and 15 gallon works, uh, that kind of spray volume. But with a spray coop, it's a smaller, uh, lower capacity machine, and we do five gallons per acre uh, of water, and I'm having excellent results even at that. Okay. Great. So um, what would you say are your average yields then for your cash crops in this no-till cover crop system? Well, the best soybeans I've ever raised, and it could just been happen chance, but we, uh, we use a John Deere vacuum planter and planted uh, radish up and down the top of the rows. And again, in Louisiana, we, we farm on raised beds. But we planted radish with a vacuum planter using sugar beet plates. And then we terminated those in the spring and came back with a twin row planter and planted twin row soybeans. And we had the best yields we ever had that first year. But in all honesty, uh, the cover crop system, it takes three to five years, depending on soil types, for the cycle to kind of get in synchronization, I guess you would say. Uh, I've noticed, uh, I guess the biggest telltale I've seen is water infiltration, which is directly attributed to organic matter because every 1% of organic matter gives 22,000 gallons per acre of water holding capacity. And on fields, the first several years that we started doing cover crops, we would have irrigation, furrow irrigation, that would run out the end of the row in 12 hours. And those same fields now are taking 40 to 45 hours to irrigate. And it's because the water is going down in the soils because the soils have been alleviated and the pores have opened up and our water's going down instead of running off. And so, you know, you think about getting a rainfall, we're able to capture that rainfall instead of that rainfall running off of our fields. Wow. So. In addition to water infiltration, what other changes have you seen in your soil health uh, since implementing the no-till and cover crop system? Well, you know, there's, there's a big difference between dirt and soil. And most of our, our farms here are so depleted that all we have is dirt, uh, less than 1% organic matter. And soil is a living organism. And if you've ever been out in a flower bed where you take a, maybe your wife bought a bag of mulch and you cut that bag of mulch open and you can smell it and it's, it has that earthy smell to it. That's soil. That's a living organism. And what we've noticed is, you know, the, the lighter color of the soil, the less carbon we have. And the darker the soil, that's carbon in the soil. And we've noticed a difference in the color of our soil, the, uh, the soil. Uh, it soaks the water in better, it works better, it's more mellow, 
We have a better seed to soil contact. Uh, we have totally gotten away from deep breaking soils, and therefore that's a that means a lower horsepower tractor. That means less fuel, less manpower. So our soils are really starting to come back to life. That's fantastic. Um, so you mentioned that you grow and sell your own cover crop seed. Um, what would you say are some of the challenges of growing your own seed? Uh, wow, that's a big one. Uh, well, I guess, uh, well, we're Louisiana certified seed dealer. So, you know, we do everything in accordance to state regulations and most farmers, you know, when they harvest seed, they put it in a hopper bottom and haul it to the grain elevator and that's, they're through with it. And at that point with us, our work has just begun. Uh, the majority of our work is yet ahead of us at that point because we have to, we run everything through a clipper seed cleaner. We clean, well, we pre-clean and then we run it through a cleaner and then we have to bag, then we have to label and then the, uh, the marketing of the seed also. And uh, so it's, it's quite a bit involved in, uh, in being a seed dealer and selling seed. So how, uh, explain your process for cleaning your seed. Well, we, to begin with, we was augering seed straight out of a grain bin uh, with just an auger into a hopper bottom to carry it to the cleaner. And But I noticed we started using a seed vac, uh, which is more or less a 120-horse vacuum cleaner. But we, we was able to remove a lot of trash and dust particles off of our seed by using a seed vac. So it's kind of like a pre-cleaner. But we're running an old-school clipper. It's a Super K cleaner. It's a, it has a, a twin vacuum on it. It's a 13-screen cleaner. And the screens are 3 foot by 5 foot uh, in, in size. And it does a really excellent job. Uh, we've actually had some seed quality. We had some seed germination this year coming in at 97% on oats. And we've actually sold oats this year in the uh, the food industry because the quality has been good enough for that. Wow, that's amazing. Um, how do you go about marketing your seed then to other other growers who are interested in cover crops? Well, I've, I've tried to educate myself as much as possible. Uh, I guess in one of the first cover crop meetings I went to was in around eight to ten years ago in Jonesboro, Arkansas. and there's a group called SARE. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that, uh, Sustainable Agriculture. But there was a book that they gave out called Growing Cover Crops Profitably. And I took that book and I, every species of seed in there that I had an interest in, I did a lot of studying, a lot of reading, trying to find out characteristics and, and growing climates and everything. And I, I really took a crash course on trying to uh, – read that and then also uh subscribing to uh different no-till and cover crop magazines and reading about what other farmers throughout the country are doing and hearing testimonies you know of how cover crops and and no-till has changed their operations has been a big inspiration to me and so uh, i think education is one of the biggest things but uh being able to market the seed uh, it's kind of like you're trying to market the seed and trying to educate people both at the same time. And uh, I think people's eyes are beginning to open up that uh, that this is definitely the wave of the future. Great. 
So what would be your advice to a grower who is just getting started with cover crops? I would say to that grower, try to try to go to as many seminars as you can. Any no-till cover crop magazines you can get, subscribe to them. Uh, keep them by your easy chair. Just read them. Devour them much as you can. Uh, I know eight years ago, uh, I went to uh, no-till on the plains in Salina, Kansas, and that was about a 12-hour drive. And it was about a it was a three-day investment of my time and money to go to that. And I was very thankful, you know, when I left there that I did go because uh, they had uh, sessions that you could go to that was, you know, of your interest to go to to the grazing sessions or the soil health or the water infiltration. And being able to take that crash course uh, in that limited amount of time, it, it has really helped me to keep myself focused in the right direction for the for the way we're going to go on our farm in the future. Fantastic. What would you say are the top three lessons that you have taken away from your cover crop experience? I would say to be reachable, teachable, and changeable. Because what worked for maybe our grandfathers and our fathers, the technology has changed, the economics has changed, uh, the soil hasn't changed. And, you know, us as farmers, we're really illiterate about soil health. And this is where we make our living at, because we have to have soil to put that root and that seed into. But yet your average farmer, and, and I'm not an Einstein by any means, I, ha I don't have a degree in soil health, but I'm trying to educate myself the best I can that the soil is the living organism that we have to have, and it's becoming more and more depleted but we can build it back up and we can bring it back to life if we'll just focus on doing that. And, uh, and also, Miss Sarah, uh, we have relied so much on synthetic fertilizers. And, you know, Mother Nature is always the best rhythm to be in. And nature will work with us if we will learn what will work and what will not work. And we can build these soils back up if we just have the know-how to see how to do it. Great advice. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for joining us, Marty. Thank you, Miss Sarah. It was good, good visiting with you. Join us for the Fall 2021 National Cover Crop Summit for, on November 16th and 17th for two days of convenient online cover crop learning. It's free to sign up, but listeners of this podcast are invited to save 50% on all access registration for VIP benefits. With this exclusive discount, you can pay just $25 for access to a can't-miss lineup of on-demand learning sessions featuring today's most successful cover crop adopters, researchers, and agronomists sharing their best seeding strategies, grazing and feeding tips, variety selection secrets, and more. Visit CoverCropStrategies.com summit and use discount code PODCAST25 at checkout. Once again, I want to thank our sponsor. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger ROI, and is now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, 
visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com backslash 2022. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.